Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show that harkens back to the days of Where's the Beef, Ding Dong, Avon's Calling, and Plop Plop, Fizz Fizz. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine. It is the summer solstice. Yeah, the sun is at the highest point. It's all downhill from here. Uh, But anyway, on this week's episode, it's going to be a jumbo-sized Fred Janusik episode so that we can get all that information out there. So we'll have Fred in uh, the normal pipe parts and then more of Fred and uh, more stories. So, uh, you know, a lot of fun. All right, so uh, we'll also have music mailbag and a rant, which is actually a rave this week. But all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, real quickly, Vegas, Las Vegas International Pipe Show update. Go to VegasPipeShow.com. We are building the website out, putting information on there. And uh, shortly, we will be selling tables and uh, and uh, admission tickets. And there will be a reason why you'll want to buy your admission ticket in advance and online. Uh, all payable by PayPal, so... Uh, keep checking back to the website as the show goes out. We will be building it over this week. Uh, room reservations, do make sure that you are using the link on the website or calling them on the phone and giving them the code. All right, Use the link on the website to go there or call them on the phone. Uh, the reason you want to do that is because if you click on and if you try to go through the hotel's website, well directly and put in the code that's not going to work because there's a lot of third-party operators out there who mask as the hotel and sometimes that won't work so just click on that link on vegaspipeshow.com under the ho- under the room reservations tab and that'll get you right there all right i uh, hope everybody had a good father's day hope everybody is uh now that the weather's warm and is getting a chance to get outside and smoke your pipe I really do want to emphasize get outside, smoke your pipe, and uh, start saving your pennies for uh, pipe shows. And you're going to hear a lot about pipe shows coming up when we talk to Fred. So uh, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through smokingpipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, for Pipe Parts again, we've got... uh, more story times with the good Fred, as I like to call him, or uh, Doctor of Pipes, Doctor of Mathematics, Fred Janusik. Uh, I want to go back for a minute and talk about the, you know, talk about going to the pipe shop for you on those Saturdays and yeah, up in mm. Milwaukee and hanging out with that yeah. group. Um, there wasn't there wasn't a tobacco lounge, was there? It was just kind of hang out in the store kind of a thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, and oddly enough, Yuli, which is the best known and uh, you know, not, I don't know, best known of the, of the bunch, has the least space to stand around. 
Now, if you get four or five people in there, it gets crowded. Whereas <laughs> Edwards and Cuskies are fairly large stores with lots of room in them. And you can get some, and they put high chairs around. You can sit down on a chair or sit on the edge of a counter or something like that. And so that, that's mostly where we hung out. Now, since my time now, Yulee's has a lounge. They realized that they were missing people. By, they have a, a locker, set of lockers where you can lock your cigars or your pipe tobacco. And then a smoking lounge with leather chairs and everything in it that seats probably six, eight, ten people, something like that. Yeah. They added that onto the shop. But back in the days when I was there, we would just stand around for the most part. And I mentioned <laughs> in passing one guy, uh, the Cuban doctor. Yeah. Yeah, his pipe, my pipe, which I traded to him, ended up on the cover of uh, the pipe magazine. That, what is it? The brown one. <laughs> the one that's still going. A little Dunhill, a couple issues back, two or three issues back, and they mentioned his name, <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. I think it was Alejandro, Dr. Alejandro, uh, I can't think of the last name now, but anyway, he, he was a frequent visitor to Cuskies, and he smoked princes. I said, a prince? He said, yeah. And it was a prince. <laughs> and uh, even some apples, small apples, called the prince. And I got to talking to him and found out that he was Cuban. And he could tell he was somewhere in South America. And that he had been kicked out of Cuba by Castro and his people. He was a brain surgeon, well-known brain surgeon. And his wife was one of the heirs to the Puerto Rican rum. I'm not sure which family. Wow. And extremely wealthy. They had a gigantic house and all that stuff. When when Castro came in, he said, you've got 48 hours to gather up whatever you can take in two suitcases and get out of the country or you're going to jail indefinitely. So... And no money. <laughs> so they got on a plane and flew to America. I don't know why they ended in Milwaukee if they had relatives or whatever. But he had to start all over from scratch. And apparently he did quite well as a brain surgeon. And she probably got some of her inheritance anyway, even though it didn't go through Cuba. But he was quite the character. And he smoked a pipe so hot that if he was smoking and you asked to look at it, it better put your hanky around your hand before you touched it because <laughs> the bowls almost bowed. <laughs> and when I traded him uh, the pipe, when I got home, I noticed that the pipe that I got was, uh, oh, it was a little Dunhill Group 2, I think. It was charred halfway down the shank. Oh, no. <laughs> I put, yeah, I put a, a, a drill in there. And started, and when I got down to about halfway, I could feel him pull it out and see the char. He had sucked so hard on the tobacco that he had charred the shank too. <laughs> wow. His tongue must have been completely fireproof or something. Yeah. Unreal. <laughs> but he was one of the locals, and then there were lots of other fun guys. One guy that I remember as Mister Thumb. Uh, he would not buy a pipe unless he could stick his thumb down the, uh, the tobacco chamber yeah. with room to spare. <laughs> Had to be that big. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't buy it. No little pipes for him. <laughs> he, he, was, you know, he was quite a character. And, you know, we'd spend a lot of times it would get there like at 9 or 10 in the morning and stick around until after lunch, noon, 1 o'clock, and just shooting the breeze and guys would come and go some would leave more would come in and i just had a, I had a really good time you could go back and shine your pipes on the buffing wheel if you wanted and uh, do whatever you wanted and it was a very very ideal situation <laughs> 
when you uh, when you traveled the U.S., did you automatically go into whatever pipe shop was in the town and? Or, <laughs> you bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I checked when I went somewhere was a phone book to see if they had a pipe shop. <laughs> and back way back then, most of them did, but not anymore. <laughs> so, did you get to New York City and to Boston and some of those other some of those great shops? Yep, I sure did. Yep, Dunhill's in New York City, and I walked all the way down to Central Park and around and down to see the, uh, uh, what was it, the two women who had the shop. Wilkie, uh, the Wilkie, Wilkie sisters, yeah. I had to go to the Wilkie shop. I Unfortunately, I was <laughs> walked right by the tavern that has all the pipes on the ceiling. Yeah. I didn't read the article on that until after I'd been in New York. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I, I went to a lot of them, and I think, I'm trying to think which one impressed me most. It wasn't Dunhill. Dunhill was mostly men's clothing then. This was in, oh, 1970, when was it? I don't know, early 70s maybe. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, and speaking of other pipe shops, so... And pipe situations. I forgot to tell you about, we had a local shop here run by a buddy of mine named Bob Miller. And he was a big seller of Lane tobaccos, and especially their BCA and whatever the other thing is. But as it turned out, he gets a letter one year, at the end of the year, from Herman Lane, inviting him to New York City to the RTDA show, if he's going to the RTDA show, to be his guest for lunch at the Grand Ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria. Ooh. He said, and you can bring a guest. <laughs> well, his girlfriend didn't want to go. So I'm not going to a stupid pipe thing. So Bob said, well, would you like to go, Fred? I said, you damn well right I want to go. <laughs> it also <laughs> included a tour of the Lane Factory and all kinds of things. So we went, we meet in the grand ballroom at the big, big circular table. There must have been 20 people or more there. And Herman Lane stood up and welcomed us all. A very, very neat guy. And they had strolling violinists and all kinds of courses of food, one of which almost got me in trouble. <laughs> it was a white soup with potatoes in it. I said, ah, potato soup, I like that. And then I tasted it, and it was ice cold. And I thought, they must have missed mine when they were eating these up or something. <laughs> maybe I should tell them. And then I thought, well, maybe not. I'll just eat it. <laughs> After for, Afterwards, I found out what Vichy Swa means. <laughs> <laughs> potato soup. <laughs> That's the way it was supposed to be, dummy. But I'd never had it before, so how was I to know? Fortunately, I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did they uh, did they take you over to the Lane Factory? Yes, they did, and, but it was a brief tour. I mean, you didn't really get to stop and talk about any other procedures or that. We started out with the garage, I guess, or whatever they call it, where they've got two great big metal doors that you know go up, garage doors, uh, wide enough and for a large truck and we get there we're up on a stand over looking down on the floor and they open they push a button and the two doors go up and two dump trucks come in full of tobacco just <laughs> tobacco not in boxes or anything just tobacco and all of a sudden the dumper goes up and they dump it on the concrete floor <laughs> and then they pull away and out comes two or three guys with pitchforks and they're pitchforking the tobacco into big barrels. And I'm wondering, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> what are they going to do next? I couldn't believe you don't, you'd treat tobacco that way. but that's what, And I couldn't ask. There was nobody there that could ask, you know, what happens next? Where does it go next? Because they took us somewhere else and showed us something else, something else, and something else. And never got <laughs> to really talk to anybody about it. But 
we did get to see it, see the place, walk through it. So they they must have kept the tobacco off site somewhere and then brought it there into Lower Manhattan for processing. Must be. I wouldn't know. Yeah, it sure surprised me the way they treated it. <laughs> that tobacco that I smoked from Lane has been on the cement floor. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was driving in a dump truck through the Holland Tunnel yeah. into Manhattan. Right. <laughs> dumped on the floor i love it <laughs> on the floor that's lame tobacco <laughs> <laughs> so so everything that they made there was floor sweepings yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yep. and we will pause right here and come back with more story times with fred janusik in just a moment this is internet radio hi i'm jeremy reeves head blender of cornell and deal We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and now we will continue right where we left off with more story times with Fred Janusik. Uh, well, in Boston, it was kind of fun going to some of those because, you know, they've been around for 100 years or so. And in New York, too, you know, like Wilkie Brothers and, or Wilkie Sisters or whatever it yeah. was. And... Did, when you went to these pipe shops while you were traveling, did you always buy something when you went in? Yeah, almost always. I, I would feel guilty to walk in and just turn around and walk yeah. out. I'd at least buy a packet of tobacco. And a lot of times they'd have a pipe that interested me, and I would buy one, buy a pipe. Yeah. but You primarily did pipe swapping at the old shows where you'd trade pipes back and forth. You really didn't, there, there really wasn't yeah, a lot of bet. selling. So do you know That's how, right. do you have an idea of how many different pipes you've owned over the years? You know, I was thinking about that as I was thinking about doing this. I'm, I'm sure it's over a thousand and it could well be over 2000. I have had a lot of pipes. It would not be unusual for me to go to a show back when we were doing all that swapping and get rid of 30 or 40 pipes and come back with 50 new pipes. (laughs) And then, you know, a couple months later, go and do it again. So it might be unusual for me to go through a couple hundred, 200 or more pipes a year. And then next year, (laughs) change them off and get some others. Until you find, you know, you certainly from time to time find one that you really, really like. But also sometimes one of those you think you really, really like becomes not so likable when you see something you like better. <laughs> so yeah. I have I have had a few. I, I was thinking that I've, over the years I've traded away or sold maybe a half a dozen pipes that I wish, I really wish I had kept. Uh, not uh, a couple because of their uh, smoking qualities, but others just because of what they were and where I got them or who I got them from. I was sorry to have, you know, gotten rid of them. I've got, you know, some right now that are special to me because they were given to me by pipe makers, and there's no way in hell that I would sell or trade those. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Others were just people that, and I remember, I've got one from Marty Pulvers when we visited him in 2000 uh, on our big wine trip down the coast. We ended up <laughs> at his place for a big luncheon and <laughs> wine tasting and so on. 
and I went out in his garage to see his pipes that he was putting in his list and see what, you know, what kind of stock he had in that. And while I was there, I opened up one of the drawers and there was a Castello that was barely smoked and it was uh, a 30, shape 30, normal size, which was about almost six inches long. And that virgin blasted or charred, not, not blasted, uh, rusticated. Yes, it's a rusticated. I forget what it's called, but anyway, it was almost like new, and it had a red bit, which I could have done without. But <laughs> I picked it up, and it was so light that I thought to myself, "There's no way this thing can smoke bad." Why? You know, I had one. Well, I should back up. Castellos and I were not friends when I went to Marty's. <laughs> I had one about three or four years before. I bought a nice big Canadian with the red finish and smoked it and it was one of the hottest, most miserable smokes I ever had. <laughs> and hard draw and I thought, this is terrible. They put this out and sell them. <laughs> Got rid of it as quick as I could and said, no more Castellos. Now, turns out, I guess years ago, that red finish was put on and then they put a shellac over it to keep it shiny or something. It was not one of their best moves. And back then, they also didn't drill them as openly as they did later on. So the one that I got from Marty smoked great, and I still got it, and will keep it because of where I got it. But I then started to collect Castellos and ended up with about 40 of them before I send out my collection again in, uh, four or five years ago after my heart attack. I sold off almost all my Castellos. I kept two, plus the Marty pipe. All of them are Canadians. Uh, I have two, uh, one's a, uh, they're essentially shaped, third. no, they're not. They're the, uh, the shape that's shorter than the shape 30. I don't know, maybe that's a 33 or so, I don't know. But they're both straight grains. One of them is marked straight grain, you know, and the other one is not. And, and it's only a 2K uh, Castello collection. And the other one's a Fiamata. And the grain on the collection is every bit as good as the one on the Fiamata. <laughs> Matter of fact, I often show them to people and say, what do you think? Which one's best? <laughs> About half the time, people pick the collection. So... You know, there, and we always we know this. There's always going to be differences in grading from day to day, and who's doing the grading and whatever. But this is a cute example of it here: yeah. of variations in grading. As an older person, I've been asked to tell how things were back in the old days before the advent of the computer and all the other trappings, and I can do that. <laughs> I remember back in the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s, what you collected depended a lot on where you lived. If you lived out in the country and were nowhere near a pipe shop, you probably collected from things that you could buy from your local drugstore, uh, which would be pipes like K. Woody and Yellow Bowl and Dr. Gray Bowl and maybe even a custom belt if if they had them. And the tobaccos would have been things like Cherry Blend and Mixture 79, Edward G. Robinson, and all those, Prince Albert, you name it, they carried it. If you were lucky enough to be near a pipe shop of or a tobacco store of any size, you could probably pick up things like uh, Joby pipes and um, lower end Kamoys or GBDs and things like that that they would carry that were you know, still reasonably priced in the 10 15 $20 range. If you lived near or in a big city, well, that was a whole different ball game. If you lived in Chicago or San Francisco or New York City, you had a a number of shops in each of those cities that carried all the pipes you could possibly want. In Chicago, there was, of course, Ewan Rees, and they carried everything from 
uh, corn cob is up to five hundred dollar six and Eversons, but at that time five hundred dollars would be about five thousand dollars today. <laughs> so uh, it was there, and you built your collection based upon you know what was available where you lived, and also with the people you met in these shops. Uh, if you kept going, sooner or later you're going to meet people that also keep going and probably start talking and become friends. And maybe if you get enough of them together, you could form a little pipe club <clears throat> and maybe even do some trading. And that went on for a number of years for me until someone mentioned a, a journal called The Pipe Smokers Ephemeris. And they said it's free. All you have to do is write in and become a member. And so I did. And that was the beginning of a whole new world for me. I found out there were collectors all over the country who collected all kinds of pipes, some of which I'd never even heard of. High end, low end, everything. And most of them gave their names and phone numbers and addresses. And you could write to them or call them. And if you had similar interest, possibly do some trading. And as a matter of fact, a lot of trading went on that way over the years. And that's how I built up a lot of the uh, Dunhills and Sheratons and things like that in my collection. And this went on for, oh, through the 70s anyway. Oh, there was a little brief period in there where something new appeared on the market. A guy in Denmark started a company called Preben Home. <laughs> and all of a sudden in the shops you see all these really wild shaped pipes, mostly straight grains, very pretty and reasonably priced, $20, $30, When People jumped on those like crazy. And they were popular, ugly though they were, they were popular for quite a while until he died at a very young age and they just disappeared from the market more or less. So that brings us up to the 80s and especially 1982 which is a year that will live in infamy. Uh -oh. <laughs> I was traveling in St. Louis visiting my wife's relatives when I stopped in a very high-end tinderbox. And there I met a guy <clears throat> uh, called Mike Rockman, who was a big-time collector of high-end pipes. And again, we'll pause right here for a break. We'll be back in just a minute. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mila Folge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with the good Fred Story Times with Fred Janusik. And here's our final segment for tonight. We started talking, and I showed him some of my pipes. And he must have been interested because he said that he was going to, or was in the process of setting up a, a show, a pipe show, with collectors from all over the country. Uh, that would come in and spend a day showing off their collections and trading or buying, selling, or whatever. And I said, sure, I'd like to come. 
Well, it was in December, just before Christmas of that year, 1982, that we got together at a place called the Breckenridge, which was a super, super high-end motel with outbuildings and everything. Just gorgeous. And they had a room for meetings that was big enough to hold about 20 to 25 tables. And sure enough, 20 to 25 collectors showed up and put out their wares. When we walked into the room, (laughs) it blew my mind. (laughs) There laid out on the tables were about a thousand of the most beautiful pipes I had ever seen. Not the pipes you usually see in a pipe shop or anywhere else. These were the cream de la cream of pipes. Tables full of Dunhills, Sheraton straight grains, barlings, everything you could think of, including a Dunhill pipe that I don't think any one of us had ever seen before that uh, a doctor had was a giant Dunhill about the size of a small saxophone, uh, later to be called Magnums. Uh, And he had one there the first time we'd ever seen it. Uh, Rich Esserman was there. Rich and I are still friends, and we still look back to that day in in awe because it was nothing but high-end stuff. And that started a craze. They decided that this was such a success that they would hold another swap in St. Louis the following year and a year after. And then a group called the PCI, Pipe Collectors International, yeah. came up and started holding meetings all over Washington, D.C., um, Texas, and um, Tennessee, Chattanooga, and Nashville. And then other people started putting on shows like uh, Indiana Briar Friars with Basil Sullivan and Dave Braddock. And uh, out on the East Coast, the core, the Congress of Richmond Pipe Smokers, started holding their shows. Rich Esserman started a show in New York. Marty Polars and a group of those guys started a show in San Francisco. And pretty soon there were shows all over the place. (laughs) So now you did have a place to really build your collection. All you had to do is go to one of these shows and bring lots of money. (laughs) You could could build up a really nice collection in fairly short order. I (laughs) attended many of those, sometimes two or three a year. Anything I could drive to, we went to. And if I had to fly, I'd fly out anyway <laughs> and that you know kind of took us up through the well up until today actually and i left out one show chicago yeah chicago got in into the mix fairly early as a matter of fact i go back i've been to all the chicago shows and to the shows before the chicago shows where a number of us in Chicago got together and like six or seven, eight of us in a tinderbox or in a room off of a tinderbox or in the basement of a pipe shop and swapped pipes. Ed Lehman, Frank Berla, Dennis DiPiazza, uh, a number of others. And from there they decided that maybe we should put on a show like the other people. And so they did, and they started relatively small in a motel that they could you know, rent and get a room and so on. I remember Indian Lakes and a number of other areas, I think Rose Lawn or somewhere. But every time they had the show being centrally located, people would come from all over, from both coasts and even some from overseas. And they said, well... You know, we've got to find a bigger place. So Frank Berla, the patron saint of pipe collectors, found and his group uh, found a place called Pheasant Run in St. Charles, Illinois. Pheasant Run had a giant mega center which would hold 300 
tables, plucks. And believe it or not, before long, they filled up those 300 tables with collectors from everywhere. China, Japan, Russia, France, England, everywhere. People came, and all over the country, obviously. And it, it turned out to be something where when you walked into the room or into the mega center, there laid out for you were about 15,000 pipes. It was mind-boggling. Anything you could imagine that you wanted was there, and probably lots more. It got to the point where at one time, uh, when you had these shows, swapping, they used to be called pipe swaps, swapping was the way to go. If you had one of the magic three, Barling, Sheraton, or Dunhill, you could swap with anyone. And that's the way we built our collections for a long time. But with Chicago and all those pipes, you couldn't spend the time haggling for two hours over one pipe when there's 15,000 out there calling you to come and see them. So instead of BCD being the coin of the realm, now it was dollars for the coin of the realm. And it still is to this day. A lot of the, most of the people that come, if they bring pipes to put on their table that are, you know, used pipes, they bring them to sell, not to trade anymore, hoping to get enough money to buy something new <laughs> that they can take home with them. And that's a big change. In, in a way, I miss the old days, but it's hard to overlook what's happening today because it's so great. If you can ever make your way there, I strongly suggest you do it. Fred, I want to. So, I want. I, I just want to interrupt you for a minute. When do you remember when the um, when the individual pipe makers started showing up at these pipe clubs and pipe shows to sell stuff? Right. Well, that's what that's what changed things, yeah. <laughs> and that was probably uh, I would guess early two thousands, maybe. 2000, they started in around 2005, six, maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I know for sure one German pipe maker came over in 2002. So maybe that early. Yeah. And and that, that did change things. Wow. Yeah. And, and now where am I? <laughs> <laughs> the pipe shows. Well, things have kind of changed again now besides the pipe shows. We have the internet and Zoom and Facebook and all those other things so that you can get a new pipe almost any time of the day or night, any day you want. Uh, so the shows are still going and still something to see, but the internet has also made collecting a lot different than it used to be. So that's about where we we are. I, would like to mention a few of the people that have helped me along the way yeah. through all this. Uh, one of them lives right here in town and is a doctor of pipes. Uh, named name is Gene Umberger. And he has a modest pipe collection, but one of the most fantastic book collections on pipes and tobacco and cigarettes and cigars and anything you can think of in the world. The only other one that would be equivalent or better would be Ben Rappaport, who's been around forever. And the two of them, of course, are good friends. So between the two of them, they probably have everything ever written on pipes and cigars. So it's nice to have someone like that handy to go to lunch with every once in a while. And farther up, a couple hundred miles north of me, in the upper peninsula of Michigan, just outside of Marquette is a little town called Ishpeming. And Lee Irk lives there. Lee Irk, the pipe maker. Yeah. But I go back 40 years or more to the time before he became a pipe maker. At the time, he was training dogs and kenneling them. And then decided to go into pipe making. <laughs> and I remember some of his early <laughs> trials 
and they were less less than ideal, I guess you would say. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they were kind of hideous. <laughs> but he kept at it, and he kept getting better and better and better. And today, his pipes sell right up there with some of the best in the country. And I'm really glad to see someone who has struggled like many of the pipe makers. They didn't start out making $1,000 pipes, and not even the big, big known, well-known Danes went through a period of learning and, and struggling to, to just get by. So when they make it big, it's nice to see it happen, and it's especially nice for a guy like Lee, and I'm really happy for him. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of beautiful pipes out there today made by young pipe makers who have had the advantage of learning from the masters and they price their pipes accordingly. But what they didn't do is put in thirty years of struggle. And as a result, they don't have the name recognition that these people do. And it's a lot harder to plop down a thousand dollars for a pipe when you don't know if you're ever going to be able to trade it or resell it. And so that's somewhat of a disadvantage for them, unfortunately. But they can do beautiful things. I've seen some of the work. So, also, I'd like to mention a couple of titans of industry that I happen to be fortunate enough to meet over the years. Yeah. I took my wife and kids with me to England. I'd always wanted to go. And I also wanted to visit some of the famous pipe shops. And before I left, I wrote a letter to Peter McNabb, who at the time was chairman of the Pipe Club of Great Britain, to ask him, are there any protocols that I should be aware of and not violate so that I look like an ugly American? Mm -hmm. And his advice was, just be yourself. You'll get along fine. And he said, while you're here, if you like, would you like to come down to my office and we could get together and talk? I said, sure. And so we set up a time. And I got up one morning and jumped on a train at my hotel and headed for Kingston-on-Thames. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not know that, like here, when you're on a train and you come to a stop, they call out the name of the stop. They don't do that in England. They assume you know where you're going. Oh, no. Or you look out the window and read the name as you go by. Well, I'm traveling along, and we stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. And all of a sudden, I realized they're not calling out the names. How am I going to know when I get there? So I found a conductor, and I said, you know, I'm going to Kingston-on-Thames. How many more stops before we get there? He says, the last stop was Kingston on Thames. <laughs> and I said, Oh, now what? How do I how do I get back there? Do I have to go out and find a place and buy a new ticket? He said, No. <clears throat> you can just get off at the next stop, go downstairs, cross under the bridge, come up the other side and get back on and go back to Kingston. <laughs> uh, the next stop happened to be Wimbledon. <laughs> so I can now say I've been to Wimbledon. <laughs> anyway, I went back and walked through driving rain for about six blocks to the, uh, Peter McNabb's office, and he was so inviting and so nice to me, uh, a true English gentleman. There's just something about them that's a little different than, than us. They seem to know all the right things to say and do and, and whatever. He introduced me to all the girls in the office, and, and we talked about pipe collecting and so on. And I, <laughs> it was new to him what I was telling him about tables full of Dunhills and Sheraton straight grains and so on. <clears throat> Over there, that was not the way things were done. Over there, people bought pipes to smoke. <laughs> and his own personal collection, I didn't see anything that would probably cost more than 30 or $40. Yeah. So that was an eye-opener for me. <laughs> I thought, you know, there they are, right in the home of all these great pipe makers, and very few of them collected them. <laughs> yeah. 
and we went to lunch around the corner from there. They had a nice little pub, and we ordered lunch and a glass of wine. And as soon as the wine came, he stood up, and I thought, what's going on? And he raised his glass. So I stood up and raised my glass, and he said, God save Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> and so I said the same thing. And I felt, wow, this is like I saw in movies. <laughs> and they still actually do that. And they do. Uh, that was a thoroughly enjoyable trip and fun to meet him. And after that, when I got home, I got to meet another interesting man, Colonel Barnes, who at the time was head, the head of Sheraton. Yeah. And when they closed down, he decided to start his own pipe company. And he was going to use the name Barnes, but it wasn't available. So it ended up being, well, his name, full name was Kenneth James Upshaw Barnes. Upshaw being his mother's maiden name. And that's how James Upshaw became James Upshaw. <laughs> And their line of seconds was Tillshead, which was the name of the little town where the pipes were made. And when I had lunch with him in Milwaukee, I met him in Milwaukee when he was over here selling his pipes and stuff. And I asked him, this is kind of strange, but why don't you have sandblast? And I've never seen a shawl sandblast. And he said, if you know how to cut a pipe, you don't have to make sandblast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought, wow, <laughs> really? And as far as I know, they never did make sandblast. I never saw one. Now they became Tillshead or they became firewood, I guess. <laughs> but again, he was another extremely nice, friendly, and in every way a British gentleman. I really enjoyed meeting him. I did not get to know his son, Ken Kennedy, yeah. as well. I, I met him a few times, but uh, I uh, ne never really got to know him. I did get to know, <laughs> at least briefly, uh, Bill Taylor. Mm -hmm. yep, William Ashton Taylor, actually, who started the name are the pipes Ashton, of course, and their second line was called TaylorMade. The reason that I especially remember him is that he was made a doctor of pipes in 2009, the same year that I was, actually. Wow. I got it on the collector's side. He got it on the industry side. But he was so ill in the hospital that he couldn't come. Yeah. So he asked his niece if he could fly her over here to make an acceptance speech for him and to bring the medal back to him, and he would pay for everything, which she did. And I thought that was really nice of him. And fortunately, she got it back in time because he died shortly thereafter. Yeah. Well, when I did get to meet him, it was generally in Chicago, and it was over a drink or two, uh, something he was pretty good at, actually. Yeah. But still a very nice man. So those are some of the people that you know, kind of changed my life, uh, the way I looked at pipes and and the way I looked at the people who made them. And there you go. That concludes uh, this week's uh, edition of Story Times with Fred Janusik. I've got probably enough for one more episode coming up. So uh, in the meantime, we'll be back in just a minute. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. 
This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. I know I, I have a feeling for those of you listening to the story times with Fred uh, that for you old timers, it's like a walk down memory lane. And for you uh, not so old timers, it's a uh, glimpse into the past. So I hope you're really enjoying it. Uh, and it made me think of a certain song from uh, from one of my favorite bands, Queen. Nothing pipe smoking related in this, uh, except it happens to be the last song that Freddie worked on before he died. It's called uh, These Are the Days of Our Lives. Sometimes I get to feel I was back in the old days long ago. When we were kids, when we were young Things seemed so perfect, you know The days were endless, we were crazy, we were young The sun was always shining, we just lived for fun Sometimes it seems like lately, I just don't know The rest of my life's been just a show song just never seems to get old to me uh queen and these are the days of our lives you 
Daddy has an email. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post it on Pipes Magazine right on the uh, radio show page, uh, just like uh, Dino usually does and uh, Casey Ghost does and a couple other regulars. Uh, it's the easiest way to get your message to me. And uh, for last week's show, what Dino says was, uh, what a fabulous show. This episode with Dr. Hannah was one of the deepest and most thought-provoking conversations yet. Your contributions were every bit as compelling and on point as Fred's. Nicely done. Uh, then he says, I'm quite a fan of George Winston. His holiday album, December, is a masterpiece. Keep it in mind for then. And I will. And then he said, uh, Tad's email touting the 100 best, worst, and strangest Sherlock Holmes portrayals of all time ranked was a great recommendation uh, for any Holmes enthusiast. This highly subjective but very entertaining critique is well worth the time. And he put the link down in there for everybody to go to. So thank you very much for that, Dino. And then uh, Casey Ghost says, terrific show. Good advice on gift giving to smokers. Don't buy a pipe under any any under any circumstances unless he very specifically asks you to. Uh, buying pipe racks is a real good idea, as are roll-ups, tobacco pouches, etc. There you go. Uh, always, and you're going to hear more about Father's Day gifts coming up in the uh, rave. Um, always good to have Fred on the show. In listening to him describe the differences in testing tobaccos, it became clear to me that we are way too guilty of setting a sample size of one and believing it is the only truth out there. The problem is the value-loaded word best. One guy's best is another guy's piece of crud. Brian's right. We need everyone to switch to the words my favorite. I'd go into a rant about the word unique, but I'll save that for another time. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Um, <laughs> in fact, that might be one of the best rants, unique. Uh, then uh, Casey Ghost says, I enjoy listening to a couple Sherlock Holmes podcasts. I hear Sherlock, uh, I hear of Sherlock everywhere is a real favorite of mine. And as Dino said, Tad's email touting the 100 best, worst, and strangest Sherlock Holmes portrayals of all time ranked was a great recommendation. Uh, unfortunately, I don't like piano instrumentals, so I just moseyed on during the music interlude. All right, well, there you go. Casey Ghost got to mosey. Um, and in response to Casey Ghost wanting the updated list of stuff from Doctors and Masters of Pipes, uh, if you go on to smokingpipes.com, they've updated it. It's in their blog daily reader area. But I'll give you the uh, posthumously, uh, not posthumously, but uh, the past three years of winners. All right, because in 2020, we didn't have a show. Uh, and those winners for Masters of Pipes in 2020 was John David Cole of the Country Squire Radio, Country Squire Online, Country Squire Tobacconist, and Chad Terpstra, who was the uh, director of Father the Flame. In 2021, Master of Pipes was Shane Ireland of SmokingPipes.com fame. And in 2022, was uh, the most recent was Michael Parks, and Neil Osborne. Uh, Neil Osborne, who's been on the show, NPOD101 on uh, Instagram, and the one that I shouted out for the great pictures of the Chicago Pipe Show, and Michael Parks, the uh, Canadian pipe maker. Yeah. Uh, Doctors of Pipes, going back to 2020, is uh, Sykes Wilford, who became the first master that got promoted to a doctor, so congratulations, and Jeff Knoll, who is the publisher and uh, chief cat wrangler of the NASPC and the Pipe Collector magazine newsletter, which you all should be members of by now. Uh, and then in 2021 is uh, Mark Irwin, who did the wonderful Peterson book that we've talked about numerous times. And Steve Fallon, who is nothing else to say about Steve except he's the pipe stud. Uh, and then this 2022 crop and the hobby side, Jeff Weiner, who's been on the show before and has been a big supporter of the pipe hobby internationally. And then pipe maker JT Cook, who <laughs> really took sandblasting to the next level. 
So there you go. There's your doctor of pipes and master of pipes. Uh, speaking of Dr. Steve Fallon, I'm going to be uh, reaching out to Steve. Thank you to everybody. Uh, we got a last minute surge of some great items for the JDRF. So we will get those over to Steve and I will, uh, and we'll coordinate with Steve when they're going to hit his website and his eBay store. So thank you very much. Um, also this week, probably later on in the week, Keep an eye on Facebook and Instagram as I'm thinking about doing some uh, Facebook lives and Instagram lives and talk about uh, talk about pipe shows and prepping for a pipe show and uh, to continue to promote the uh, Las Vegas International Pipe Show. So follow me on Facebook and on Instagram and you'll be alerted to when those are coming out. All right. Rant Rave coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. of gift giving is a skill and I've talked about how I don't like gift cards in the past but uh, this year for Father's Day my family has finally well I, they've figured me out before no no pipes and tobacco truly re related items but I thought you know this year they they really did it well and here's here's what they got uh, my daughter got me a shirt from the Secret Life of Pets movie that has the uh, the bunny on there and it says obey the bunny and I love it because it goes along with my uh, fascination and love of uh, psycho bunny and the shirt is just big bold and bright and fun and uh, you know people comment on it when you wear it and I'll, I'll post some pictures of this stuff on uh, on my socials as the kids say uh, then my son got me a book that that I've never seen before that is an inside look into uh, all the, the recent Disney animation uh, and it's more from the story side than it is from the art side and I'm looking forward to that in addition to that got me two metal signs designated smoking area two metal signs and these are these are not fancy signs these are little metal ones that are meant for you know for businesses to put up well guess what I've now got two of them so I may carry one in my bag with me and wherever I go just put the sign out and make that a designated smoking area and then everyone can kiss my and never mind. Uh, anyway, uh, so that was really cool and fun. Uh, my wife got me a garden hose that's one of those expandable and contractable ones. And I'm not sure if she was trying to indicate something about how maybe my other hoses are old um, or tired. But uh, no, it's a nice little contract, you know, compact hose that rolls up real easy and gets put away. So uh, again, you know, just really nice, thoughtful gifts. Had a great day. And uh, that's the idea of gifts. You know, find something that the person's going to like, maybe that they haven't found for themselves. And they uh, they all hit it out of the park this week. Hope you all had some uh, got some nice Father's Day gifts out there. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, do make sure and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we'll have social medias going for the uh, pipe show shortly. So lots to, lots to keep up to date on there. Check out the VegasPipeShow.com website. iTunes ratings and reviews. Much, 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 much appreciated. And JDRF auction items coming up, all that. So, wow, that's a lot of stuff going on. No wonder why I'm so busy. All right. <laughs> With that, <laughs> we'll wrap this up. And thank you very much to Fred Janusik for the time and the stories. And uh, more on those to come. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Happy trails to you.
bombadira 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 bang who cares about the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny I am cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs.